This is The Guardian. Cyberbedrohungen beeinträchtigen viele Unternehmen so stark wie noch nie zuvor. Darum vertrauen zehntausende Kunden auf Palo Alto Networks, dem weltweit führenden Anbieter von Cybersicherheitslösungen. Unsere innovativen, umfassenden Produkte vereinfachen die Sicherheit, sodass Sie sich auf Ihre Stärke konzentrieren können, Ihren Geschäftsbetrieb. Auf paloaltonetworks.de sehen Sie, wie erstklassige Cybersicherheit aussieht. paloaltonetworks.de slash partner of choice All over England, the councils that provide vital public services are in a deep financial crisis, with more and more places facing bankruptcy. Nottingham City Council is short of £23 million. Birmingham says it doesn't have the money it needs to balance its budget. Woking Borough Council is sitting on a debt portfolio of £1.8 billion. The council is bankrupt. For all the Tory talk of levelling up, the government still doesn't seem to grasp the seriousness of what's happening. So can the Labour Party do anything different? I'm John Harris and you're listening to Politics Week in the UK for The Guardian. It really feels like the consequences of years of cuts and underinvestment are hitting us in this country in every conceivable way at the moment. But perhaps the most vivid example of somewhere that seems to be endlessly falling over is the dire predicament of a whole layer of government. Six councils in England have declared bankruptcy since 2021, including Nottingham, Birmingham City Council, which is the biggest local authority in Western Europe, Woking and Croydon. Local authorities get their funding from central government, council tax and business rates, but they can't borrow money to finance their day-to-day spending. That's some of the explanation for the mess that we're in. Bill Revens is the Lib Dem leader of Somerset Council. Um, He sees to the town where I live, among lots of other places, which last year declared nothing less than a financial emergency. The council is projected without drastic cuts anyway, to overspend by £100 million next year. Bill took over as the council leader in 2022. Thank you for speaking to us, Bill. Hello. Uh, My pleasure. Right. You are facing some very, very tough decisions right now. You need to make £35 million or thereabouts in savings. Cuts is another way of putting it. Can you talk us through some of what you're having to do to achieve that? Yeah, absolutely. We've asked uh, our our officer team to come forward with uh, pretty much anything that's not statutory and we can take savings on. So we'll be looking at closing all our public toilets, switching up our CCTV, reducing and then finishing our support to our three theatres, closing up to five recycling centres. We'll be increasing our parking fees, our harbour fees. We'll be reviewing Reviewing all the subsidies to bus services, we'll be cutting back on highways maintenance. We haven't finalised our proposals, but it is absolutely heartbreaking to be in this position um, to carry out these measures on a county I was born in, live in and grew up in. Do you think, to some extent, services have become more expensive to run because early intervention was cut over the last 10 years? So you're now picking people up when they're in crisis rather than nipping problems in the bud? Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know, I've got no, nothing other than anecdotal evidence to support that. But certainly uh, those areas that saw things like the, the youth club close, there is then a consequence in terms of how teenagers respond as they grow up. And that feeds into other areas of council spend. So we see 
children more likely to come into care or become young parents and then need further intervention. I don't like the term vicious circle, but absolutely it is that cycle of despair that comes about because of those austerity measures. So sitting here with faced with even more austerity measures and having to put through yet another programme of cuts, how does it feel doing that? Oh, it's absolutely heartbreaking. It's um, it, the, the choices that we're faced with are, you know, they range from the unpalatable. You know, there are things that you know, we don't want to do, but understand that, uh, that we have very little choice. But there are things here which we know will genuinely cause distress, hurt, impacts, perhaps even fatality as a result of decisions that we are being forced to make by the situation that councils are in. If we do not maintain our roads properly, particularly in Somerset, and we don't maintain our drains and gullies, we see a significant increase in flooding. It's unfortunately, that is the way it is. And we are being put in this situation by a broken system of national government finance and a broken system of funding uh, social care uh, that means that those essential services that all our residents rely on are being absolutely decimated by this. And just to be clear, when you talk somewhat alarmingly about the prospect of some of these cuts perhaps leading to fatalities, as you put it, that's in the area of things like road safety and people dying in the midst of floods. That's what you mean, is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, poten- potentially, yes. One of the other other cuts is around school school crossing patrols. We've got one, I've got a cut that reduces our funding to beach safety at Burnham-on-Sea. Now, there may well be a significant risk to public safety if we turn off all our CCTV cameras. We are, we are very well aware of the risks behind a lot of these horrific choices that we're having to make but we have to balance the books we have to pass a balanced budget by the end of february i mean obviously as and when you put up council tax again that effectively means that people are paying more for less it's a pretty horrible package to present to people that's the wonderful sales job i have is to convince the people of somerset that uh that uh it's a good thing that they are paying more for less and it's and to try and explain why we're in that situation people have suggested that i'm trying to always pass the blame onto somebody else all i'm trying to do is explain the situation that we are in and that this is a national problem that needs a national solution you cannot fund social care adult social care in particular out of a the council tax which is a tax based on property values back in 1991 the system is absolutely crackers and to, to be absolutely fair i don't see any of the political parties my, my own included raising this as a significant issue as we come to the general election. Now, clearly, as a matter of legal obligation, you have to provide statutory services, which include special educational needs, child and adult social services, bin collections, etc. Have they and are they going to be affected by cuts as well? I would imagine they are. Yes, to a significant extent. And what's, what's really difficult is some elements of that that aren't statutory. So, for example, in Somerset, we provide an employment service for adults with learning disabilities to access employment markets. So, you know, you might, for example, in a cafe local to me, there's a, there's a young lad who's got Down syndrome who, who works in that, ca- that cafe. It's brilliant to see him, and, and he clearly enjoys that role and, and, and the benefit of, of having employment. We will be cutting that employment service. <laughs> that, is the, that is the real painful bit. We, I believe that a lot of the, the small amount of costs that those preventative services offer is going to be dwarfed by what comes along later, which is going to be greater need, and we will have to spend more money in the long run. 
What's your vision of the future? Because one way out of this might just be to completely strip down the responsibilities of councils. So they're barely doing anything at all, right? I mean, that's what that's talked about now. Indeed. I think there's a, there's a national debate that needs to be had as to what, what is local government for now. Because if you ask somebody in the street in Somerset, what does their council tax go on? They will talk about bin collections. They'll talk about roads. They'll talk about a library. They might talk about a leisure centre. They aren't going to talk about 60, 70% of our expenditure, which is on social care. And that's the reality is you can't fund that out of a tax system that's out of date and looking immediately ahead what's your sense of the immediate future this year in other words you must you must be scared let's be honest this year is about survival i want somerset councils to still exist in a year's time and be run by local people for local people we've got an awful lot going for us in somerset and it's such a shame that we cannot find uh, we are struggling to find a way to make this council sustainable but we will do it we are absolutely determined thanks for speaking to us bill I'm now joined by Miata Farnbuller, the prospective Labour candidate for Peckham and the former chief executive of the New Economics Foundation, and uh, my colleague Patrick Butler, the Guardian's social policy editor. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Um, We've just been speaking to Bill Revens, the Lib Dem leader of Somerset Council, um, which has declared a financial emergency. And we've been talking to him about what it's like for councils and local services specifically at the moment. And as you both know, the picture is dire. Um, I have been writing and talking about this issue personally for 10 years at least. Patrick, you have too, um, in a very forensic, in-depth way. And it's usually your desk at The Guardian when I'm in the office before I'm going to write a story about one of these things. I come and see you because you're the expert, right? Back in 2013, I remember you telling me about um, people who run councils starting to talk about what they call the jaws of doom. It became sort of notorious around this time which was a graph with two lines, right? And one line, the one at the top, was going up and up and up, and that was the need for services, adult and children's social care, special educational needs, etc. And then the other line on the graph was going down and down and down, and that line represented the money councils got from government, and the whole thing pointed to disaster. Sooner or later, the gap was going to become too big to manage, right? And here we are, it seems to me. The interesting thing about the jaws of doom uh, graph was that was produced by Birmingham City Council. Was it? Back in... 2012. And uh, I remember writing about it at the time. And the then leader of Birmingham, Sir Albert Bohr, declared on the back of this, that that this was the end of local government as we know it. Now, he was then looking ahead to, I think it was about 2016, 2017, when he thought local government was going to end. So he probably got, it was just a bit out then, because what we now know is that Birmingham it's bankrupt as yeah, of yeah. last year. As I said in the intro, the largest local authority in Western Europe. That's the gravity of this crisis. And perhaps why the likes of you and I still feel this story is underplayed. Miata, you, in your new Economics Foundation role, were presumably following this for ages and ages and ages. Yeah, we were. And in some respects, this was sort of inevitable. And for me, actually, the fact that we haven't reached this tipping point sooner is a thing that I find astounding. And that's, to be fair, because local government has been incredibly effective and efficient, at managing this and managing year-on-year cuts in a really effective way. Oh, yeah, amazing. That's the story of volunteer-run libraries. 
and people who live down a residential street having to clear up the rubbish themselves and so on. I mean, you talk to people in council, so that's what they say. That's how they've got through. Yeah, resilience. But, but what that means on the ground is that, you know, the thing, the tapestry of communities, right, your li- libraries, your leisure centres, uh, the theatre, all the additional uh, community provision, that's all got rid of. And so there is a cost to this. There has been a cost to this. And I think communities across the country are feeling it. Yeah, it kills, it kills your sense of place, I think, when all those things disappear. Um, Patrick, of late, ministers in this government have talked a lot about financial management. They say, oh, this is Labour councils that have all been run badly, right? Now, initially, there was some truth to that. The first run of council bankruptcies broadly fitted that picture. The point about where we are now is that's no longer the case. We're somewhere different now, aren't we? Well, I think it was always the case that it was a mixture of Labour and Conservative. So the first one in modern times, Northamptonshire, we mentioned that yeah. was Conservative. Yeah. And then we have, we've had Croydon, uh, that was Labour. We've had Slough, which was Labour. But then we had Thurrock, which is the biggest financial basket case in recent local government history. But Proud Tory government. Perhaps because of austerity, councils had... Uh, put public money into ill-advised investment schemes and so on. The point is we're not there now, right? This is everybody's problem and everywhere's problem now, right? Well, I think there are two groups, really. There are the councils that invested huge amounts of money in commercial operations. And you saw that in Woking, for example. Tiny Woking investing £2 billion, borrowing £2 billion and investing it in retail centres and ambitious building projects and so on. And you also saw lots of councils that didn't borrow lots of money. Now, I think that there were a fair few councils out there who thought, you know what, we can dodge austerity here. This is a way, this is kind of magic money tree. We'll borrow cheaply from the Treasury. We'll invest it in these investments, and this will give us a return every year, which means we don't have to make cuts. So in places like Woking, they were making £20 million a year in terms of income, which they could then fund services to, which worked until it stopped. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just on that, because it's easy to try and paint a picture about council mismanagement, which I think couldn't be furthest from the truth. The underlying vulnerability is what made this difficult. So even the ones that were trying to be entrepreneurial and make commercial bets, yes, there were bad decisions that were made in some instances, but others were just making viable commercial propositions that when you hit hard times became tough. And if they weren't so financially vulnerable because of, you know, coming on for 14 years of austerity, they would have been a little bit more resilient. Yeah, they were, a lot of them or all of them were driven to it. I wonder, was there a time when councils recently, when was the last time, I suppose is the best way of asking this question, when was the last time that councils were sustainable and could be ambitious and the sort of ideas that local politicians would bring to them could be carried out? In other words, when they weren't firefighting all the time, when was that? Silence. When do you reckon? 2000, like around pre-crash, 2006, 2007? Even as late as 2010, 2011, what you had was councils thinking, you know, things, times have changed here. So we've had the financial crash. The days of growth are over. So we have to think strategically. So you had councils coming up with ideas of like, this would be our 10-year plan. How are we going to cope with the adult social care problem? Big strategic issues. So what you had back in 2010 was councils who who were thinking, we have a 10-year view here. That was a time when you could have a 10-year view. Now, councils have a 10-month view. Everything is incredibly short-term. And I think it's probably been short-term for for quite a few years now. And the bigger context for that, Mia, is that 
the UK and England in, in this instance specifically is an outlier if you think about how central government treats the local authorities that run our cities and counties and everything else. It's not like this in Europe. And actually, councils in one way or another have been under attack, you know, since I was in my teens, the dim and distant Thatcher period. I mean, that arguably is when a lot of this started. Yeah, so look, we are massively centralised and it's the combination of centralisation and a sort of slight disdain. And I say this as someone that's worked at the centre of government um, for local government, despite the fact that I'd argue that they're probably one of the parts of the system that's been the most effective, more so than some departments, quite frankly. And that is a terrible combination. And what we've seen, particularly in the sort of recent past, is a a kind of patronising, you know, we are going to think some thought here in Whitehall, we're going to come up with some scheme and then councils, you come groveling for tiny little bits of money. Oh, they have to bid. They have to <laughs> bid competitively for these pots yeah. of money. If you want your high street doing up, exactly. you have to go into exactly. battle with other places exactly. to, to get, like to a, get beauty a parade. meagre amount exactly. of money. For a tiny bit of amount, rather than saying, look, you understand and you know your patch best. And actually, why don't we give you the resources in order to make those strategic decisions and those long-term decisions? And, you know, one of, for me, the big problems with local government finance, there's many. We give councils budgets year on year single year settlement. Like I worked in development back before I went into government and we used to go into developing countries and say, it's really poor practice to do annual budgeting. You should be doing multi-year budgeting, three to five years. We were saying this in Bosnia, we were saying this in Africa. And so I was astounded that in Britain, in our national government, that's how we were treating local government. How do you plan? How do you plan strategically? Terrible. It's what they all say, the people who run councils. I wonder what your view is of what's going on here when it comes to the increase in need, right? So we've talked about the cuts in the money that councils get from central government. But um, let's talk about why this increase in in need has happened. Because everyone who who runs local councils will tell you that the need for adult and children's social care is rising and rising and rising. Special educational needs spending is rising and rising and rising. Some of them call it demand for those services. It's actually need, right? What's happened here? I mean, one simple answer I mean, is just that this is just the wages of social failure for 14 years. Yeah, so look, I think it's a combination of things. I think part of it is demographics. We have an ageing population, so need for social care was always going to increase. I think the second is, in the end, local government is have to, having to mop up failures down in other parts of the system. So if you don't build enough homes, that has an impact on homelessness, uh, that then has an impact on uh, the need for local government to find temporary accommodation. If we've got rising poverty, that will have an impact on other parts of the system. So for me, it's the combination of the fact that there are you know just long structural trends that is just a fact that we've known them, they were coming for a long time. And the fact that we haven't got certain things right and invested in certain things. And then you then bring the short-term impacts of inflation and the cost of living. So services that you're running in order to deal with those two issues are suddenly costing you a a lot more. Um, Patrick, you have a theory that this is all part of a plan, right? That there is a sort of vision of the future of, of councils here and places by extension, which this period when they're all falling over is sort of intended to accelerate us towards. I don't think there's a plan at all. I think, <laughs> I is there a plan in my script? I think, I think, I think you know, at one level, a very abstract level, I think we've had a government that feels instinctively that you, you, we ought to have small government. Right, that's kind of what I mean. That's ought to get out I mean. of the way, whether that's at local level or it's at national level. And I think it's felt intensely relaxed about councils having to cut services and if councils cut services and guess what they don't fall over well that just shows therefore that there was the you know there was capacity there for for cuts to be made so i think there's been a, a sort of laissez-faire approach here 
that, you know, maybe this isn't a bad thing if this all falls apart. But now, given that 40 Tory MPs have written to the minister's concern and said, look, for God's sake, councils need more money or words to that effect, does that suggest that even their dreams of cutting local government to the bone and keeping with their sort of Thatcherite dystopia, that even they have realised that this ain't working? Well, I don't know where those Tory MPs have been, to be honest. I mean, this is ridiculous that, you know, this is extraordinary. Now, if you talk to Conservatives in local government, and I have been doing for a couple of years now, they have been making these points, absolutely. And in Kent and in Hampshire, true blue Tory areas have saying this cannot go on. They've been ignored up to now. And then finally they write a letter. Now in response to that letter, the day we're recording this, the government has announced a £500 million extra support package for local councils. To put that into context, £500 million is Somerset Council's entire annual budget. So it really isn't going to touch the sides. No, it's not. I mean, I think it is being done just to get them to the other side of the election, uh, quite frankly, without more councils um, going going under. It doesn't begin to touch the sides. It doesn't begin to deal with the kind of big structural issue. I think what, one in five councils at risk of going bust yeah, in the next year to two. That's what council um, chief executives and, and leaders say. It's only a matter of uh, months, it feels like, since the government was going on about levelling up, that it wanted places that somehow had been neglected and ignored to be sort of lifted economically up. You talked about them having more power and being in charge of their own destiny. If ever a story proved that vision was dead, it's this one, isn't it? Forget levelling up. I was speaking to the chair of the Citizens Advice in Mansfield. Red wall seat, so-called. Red wall seat, just this morning. And... Mansfield District Council have told Citizens Advice that they can't really make the 55 grand grant from April. As a result, Citizens Advice in Mansfield will close either in April or before April. Wait, wait, the entirety of Citizens Advice just won't be there. The Citizens Advice, which is a separate, it's an independent charity in Mansfield with its own building, with 11 staff and volunteers advising people on debt and benefits and all kinds of other financial information, thousands of them every year, will not be there. And that's a 55 grand grant, which the council cannot stretch to. Okay, let's pause here for a minute. When we come back, we will look at what Labour may be able to do differently. Cyberbedrohungen beeinträchtigen viele Unternehmen so stark wie noch nie zuvor. Darum vertrauen zehntausende Kunden auf Palo Alto Networks, dem weltweit führenden Anbieter von Cybersicherheitslösungen. Unsere innovativen, umfassenden Produkte vereinfachen die Sicherheit, sodass sie sich auf ihre Stärke konzentrieren können, ihren Geschäftsbetrieb. Auf paloaltonetworks.de sehen Sie, wie erstklassige Cybersicherheit aussieht. paloaltonetworks.de slash partner of choice Welcome back. I've sometimes used the phrase when I've been writing and talking about this recently, which is ambient austerity. So in other words, if you live in one of these places, you might not necessarily feel these cuts as, you know, really, really horribly hurtful, occasionally kind of life-threatening things, but they're there in your environment all the time. And my sense is that that very often feeds a sort of resentment and political disconnection 
which is very, very evident in our political culture. So around the time of the Brexit referendum, I would often find that people had the most sort of pointed, resentful opinions about politics in places where no one had mown the grass verges for years and all the local bins were overflowing and the park just had a rusty swing in it and nothing else. It's not surprising there's a sort of link between politics more widely and how these things play out. So I think, and it, it, you're both nodding, so, it, so clearly you both agree, that this is a really, really pressing issue for national politicians. And that brings us to the Labour Party. Mieta, you're a Labour candidate, so I'll ask you first. The Labour Party, it seems to me, if, when it wins power, can't function, let alone thrive, in circumstances where everyone or most people think politics is screwed and nothing works. You know, the idea that Keir Starmer and his colleagues are going to build a good society among that kind of local wreckage borders on the ludicrous. So here's a question. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. In the short term and long term, what's the Labour Party going to do about this? Yeah, look, so I think the first thing I'd say is the, the mission, the national renewal mission against the inheritance is absolutely huge. You only have to look at every part of the public sphere and it needs a massive repair job. And national government can't do it on its own. It's got to do it in partnership with local government. So the first thing I hope we're going to see is just a renewing of that relationship and that partnership. Um, and actually all the, you know, the overtures that I think the Shadow Cabinet are doing, going to talk to um, Labour mayors and Labour councils, I think begins that process. I think bread and butter terms local government will be in crisis. If Labour wins, that first year is a year that all the councils are saying a big chunk of us are about to go bust. And the, the challenge that Labour will have is the, you know, the finances are tough and they're likely to be tougher because only, you know, goodness knows what Jeremy Hunt is going to do um, in the next budget uh, before the election. But I think there are things that it can do in the short term. Um, but and the they need money. That's what they'd say, right? And I know for a fact that on occasion lately, when Keir Starmer has visited places where councils are about to fall over, he's asked the question, when you win power, are you going to step in and fill the financial hole? And he says, unsurprisingly, because this is the line him and Rachel Reeves, among others, stick to, we haven't got the money. We have to wait for the economy to grow. Well, so they need money. But the reality is the scale of investment to redo 10, 15 years of austerity is such that even if you wanted to, you couldn't do it on day one. That's absolutely clear. So I think they're trying to manage expectations because the reality is you can't turn on the tap because it's not big enough in order to deal with what you need to do, not just in local government, in health, in education, in policing, in every part of our public realm. So within that constraint, I think you can do things around actually greater flexibility. And so I talked about this multi-year budget yeah, yeah. and moving from single year, which just says, because at the moment, if you don't spend, by the way, the things that you're supposed to do in one year, the treasury uses it back. So give that flexibility that will allow places to make better choices about how they put them where they put their money and be able to plug some of the problems they have in the short term. There is an unfairness in the way that local government gets its money, which a lot of council leaders talk about, which is thanks to a change George Osborne introduced, whereby councils suddenly were able to keep 50% of the money they got from business rates, which if you've got a thriving local economy is great news, but if you're in a deprived place is bad news. Will you look at changing that system? The government, to be fair, has been committing to doing this for a fairly long time and haven't got round to it. But in the end, the way that our local government finance system is supposed to work is that need matters. 
in the allocation. And the government played around that so that, yes, places that have greater need are getting a bit more, but not enough to match the scale of their need. So councils, particularly in urban areas, that yeah. tend to be Labour councils that back in the day under the last Labour government were getting a lot more money because they had high levels of deprivation, were suddenly getting a lot less under the Conservatives. Yeah, this is uh, Rishi Sunak in the back garden yeah. in Tunbridge Wells territory yeah, exactly. we're in now, isn't it? So should, we hear, should, we, should we just hear that? I managed to start changing the funding formulas to make sure that areas like this are getting the funding that they deserve. Because we inherited a bunch of formulas from the Labour Party that shoved all the funding into deprived urban areas. Then uh, they, you know, that needed to be undone. I started the work of undoing that. Patrick, what's your sense of how much, if anything, is going to change for the first few years after a Labour government gets elected? Because their own councillors, right? Labour people are going to be knocking down their door saying, help us now, aren't they? That's what's going to happen. A local government association would say that English local government needs £4 billion just to get back up to speed. I don't think they're going to get £4 billion anytime soon. I don't really think anyone in local government is thinking that a new government will do that. And I think in some ways it's probably wrong to look at local government being the thing that you have to target. If you look at the constituent parts of local government, it seems to me that you know when you're talking about the, the massive increase in demand for children's social care, this is a problem of poverty. Yeah. Tackle child poverty, and you're starting to tackle upstream some of those issues that are causing problems for councils. And the other big ticket item for local government is adult social care. Now, for 12, 12 years ago, we were talking about... You know, we're the gonna longest have a, grass ever it's been kicked the in. The longest grass ever. We were talking about adult social care funding plan 12 years ago. We still don't have one. And I think that, you know, it's not really... There's not really much point talking about, you know, how we're going to fix government if we don't start saying, right, well, are we going to have an adult social care funding plan? Are we, Mia? Well, listen, I, I mean, inevitably we're going to have to because adult social care system is in crisis. I think it is likely to, you know, if there is a Labour government, there's a big chance it falls on our watch. So there will have to be a reform story for adult social care. Yeah, my inevitable response to that would be that entail spending money. And, and, and that's something that so far Labour is very, very cagey about non-committal and, and goes cold when you mention those things. Well, so no, I think what they say is, of, of, of course, there are demands, but we're not going to be able to fill those demands day one. But what we absolutely recognise is that, you know, you've got different options for how you bring money in, right? You can either increase taxes. And the reality is, with the level that taxes are, I'm not sure you have public consent to do that. Or you say, look, how do we expand the pie so that we bring in revenue? And they put all their money on expanding the pie so you bring in revenue. Okay. Um, and my judgment is, actually, given where you are with the politics of taxes, that probably makes sense. And if I think on a five to 10 year trajectory, the scale of the investment you need will only come by expanding the pie. Let's talk about the immediate future of city, local government councils. As we've already said, one in five council leaders say they fear going under, effectively declaring bankruptcy in the next year. There are other datelines looming. So um, in 2026, for example, there is lots of money spent on special educational needs, which at the moment is off balance sheet, which will come back on. And it's said at that point, even more councils will, will follow it. The future is grim here, Patrick. I mean, and anyone involved in local councils, or for that matter, anyone who just lives lives in this country, in England specifically, uh, and has to deal with all of these services, you know, it's frightening, isn't it? And it's going to remain so for quite a while. I, I think the interesting thing about the, the debate about bankrupt councils is that in some ways, a Section 114 
crystallises a problem. This is the and official every- notice council serves to say we have no money and then they invite people in from central government to help them sort it out. That's right. So we can say, well, look, you know, there's five, six, seven, eight councils now that are bankrupt. I, I think the serious problem here is there are now lots and lots and lots of councils who are saying we don't want to go bankrupt. So what we're actually going to do now is implement a cuts plan, which we is equivalent to what we would have to do if we went bankrupt. Well, that's what that's what Bill said in Somerset. It was exactly that. So what you're seeing now is effectively scores of councils are now are taking the kind of evasive action that you would do if you were bankrupt. But technically, they're not bankrupt. So I, I think whether or not we see lots more councils actually declaring bankruptcy or not, the effect is going to be the same. I think it's going to be really bleak. Miata. What's your sense of it, particularly someone who's standing for office? You agree we cannot go on like this? Of course not. Of course not. Um, and, and if you do, it will be a, at a massive price, a political price, a plague on all your houses, because whether people like it or not, local government is the front face of politics, right? It's a part of politics that people see viscerally. And if you think about the kind of the big backlash that happened in the sort of wake of Brexit, it was people looking at their place and saying, it feels rubbish. Yeah, that's what I it's thought. It's declining. Exactly what I thought. You know, we don't, f- and, and you judge politics based on that. So I don't think you can let it get to this point. I don't think the government should have ever let it get to the point. And even, you know, the, the architects of austerity that were trying to cut back the state, I I generally think that they didn't think it would get to this point. This is huge, Patrick, isn't it? It's huge. And I think it's huge in a way that we haven't quite grasped yet, because I think that often when we think of bankruptcies, we think of buildings closing, you know, doors shuttered. But I think what you're beginning to see now in local communities is the very fabric of communities start to unravel. So I mentioned earlier about Mansfield and the closure of citizens and vice. And when I was talking to the chairman there, she was saying, well, you know, this is crucial, not only because of thousands of people come here for advice, but and, and we sort them out every year, but they need to come to us to get referral to the food bank if they haven't got any money. If they don't get this advice, then often this leads to mental illness. They end up at the doors of the NHS. Often we're helping people stay in their homes so they don't get evicted. Take away that service, where do they rock up? The very council that's cutting the grant for citizens' advice. So I think you can see all these interlocking things, local government, central government, NHS, voluntary sector, community, all these interlocking things are just falling apart now. Okay. On that sobering note, let's hope things sooner or later change. And we will uh, speak to you all again next week. Thanks for joining us, Patrick and Miata. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, if enjoy is the right word. If you did, make sure you subscribe to Politics Week the UK wherever you get your podcast. This episode was produced by Frankie Toby. The music is by Axel Cacoutier. And the executive producers are Maz Ebtahaj and Nicole Jackson. This is The Guardian. Cyberbedrohungen beeinträchtigen viele Unternehmen so stark wie noch nie zuvor. Darum vertrauen zehntausende Kunden auf Palo Alto Networks, dem weltweit führenden Anbieter von Cybersicherheitslösungen. 
Unsere innovativen, umfassenden Produkte vereinfachen die Sicherheit, sodass Sie sich auf Ihre Stärke konzentrieren können, Ihren Geschäftsbetrieb. Auf paloaltonetworks.de sehen Sie, wie erstklassige Cybersicherheit aussieht. paloaltonetworks.de slash Partner of Choice